What's up, Grace Bible? Adam, turn me down a little bit. I'm about to feed back up here. It's good to see you guys today. And I do want to give a shout out, not only to those of you that are in this room, um, but we did, I believe, have an overflow situation. We have people in an overflow room right now. We also have folks watching online. So hello to all of you, and thanks for tuning in to GBC Online. I'm seeing uh, some faces that I haven't seen in a while. Welcome back. I'm glad that you are here. I am glad that you are here, and I feel your enthusiasm. It's over. Okay, there we go. Nice little golf clap like we're... This is like we're on like the, the, the fourth hole, that clap. I want to hear like the 18th hole and we just sunk it like we are in. We are here together. Let's celebrate, right? Oh. So it was in there somewhere. Okay. Okay. Man, it's good to see y'all. Matter of fact, uh, there, there's somebody watching online that I want to give a little extra love to this morning. Uh, my dear friend Tito, uh, Leroy Tito Taylor, he is a pastor, part of the Abide community. Um, and he is the pastor of Faith Family Life Church uh, in Sebring, and he's been fighting with COVID-19 for the last couple of weeks, and he just got to go home last night, and he's watching church online with us this morning, and then his church goes online at 11, but I just wanted to shout out to him. We've been praying for you, brother, and I'm glad that you are here with us this morning, and um, we're thankful uh, that, the God, that God has seen you through all of this stuff. I know that he's going to use your testimony to encourage others as well, so... If you got your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 2, Pastor Cam started the conversation uh, with us last week in 1 Peter chapter 2 as we transitioned away from a series that we had been doing to a, very, uh, a series of a very similar nature. Uh, and, and what happened was we, we, we had planned to go into 1 Peter chapter 1, look at what the Bible says about healing through the hard stuff, and then myself and some of the other pastors, we were talking, we are like, man, why don't we just tease this out and go through the whole book of 1 Peter? Um, <clears throat> Which is what we typically do. Uh, if you are a new, uh, new to Grace Bible or maybe you're just new watching in, we, we typically teach in an expository fashion, which means we study through whole books of the Bible at one time. And so now we're going to study First Peter and we're transitioning from chapter 1, healing through the hard stuff, to chapter 2 through the end is enduring through the hard stuff. Now once you're healed, it doesn't mean all the bad stuff goes away, does it? I bet you some of the things that you have learned to deal with, that you have learned to surrender to God, that you are in a season of surrendering to God, I would bet you that there's probably still some stuff that lingers and lurks around every corner that's trying to derail you and throw you off. And so Peter really writes an encouraging word to first century Christians in ancient Rome who are experiencing an immense amount of persecution and turmoil as a people. I mean, literally, as Pastor Cam said last week, Nero was burning the city to the ground. Christians were losing their homes. They were losing family members. As a matter of fact, Nero, as history would have it, was using Christians um, as the way to light the city at night. He was lighting them on fire to light up the paths of the streets. Like, things were rough, real bad. You can only imagine how heartbroken they were, how much they longed for God to step in and be the hero of the story. So Peter wrote this letter to really legitimately suffering people to say, this is how you continue to grow in your walk with Christ, even though everything around you looks like it's falling apart. This is how you continue to be faithful and trust God, even though you have a really strong temptation to become bitter. This is how we do it. And we got to do it together as a family. Remember that 1 Peter wasn't written to somebody, it was written to a people. 
of people who were suffering together, going through life together. And so it was as relevant in the first century as it is in the 21st century. And so I hope that you'll tune in and lean in as we have this discussion. As a matter of fact, um, today we're going to kind of split it out into two parts, the portion of Scripture we're going to cover. For the first part, I'm going to talk to you as believers. People in this room, watching online, that are in the overflow, that are followers of Jesus Christ. You are believers in him as Lord and Savior. And then the second part of the conversation, we're going to talk to the unbelievers in the room, or I like to call them the not yet believers um, that are watching in and tuning in. Now, I want you to know that I know that there is a smattering of both categories in every service this weekend and watching online. I know that not all of you are bought in hook, line, and sinker. Some of you might be playing church because you want your family to be okay with you, but you haven't bought in on a heart level. Some of you are just outright denying that Jesus is Lord. You don't believe that he is God. Like, hey, even to you, I want to encourage you. Like, you are welcome here. I want you here. I want to be able to have these conversations with you and just introduce you to God's word and give the Holy Spirit a chance to kind of help you reconcile with these very difficult and sometimes mysterious things. But well, we're going to be talking to both categories this morning as we are diving into uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Let me just offer a real quick disclaimer. At any point in this sermon, the lights might go out in this room. It is not a special production effect. It is not us trying to be cool or relevant. It is because we have a breaker that keeps one to overheat, and it just so happens to be the lights that are out over you, okay? So if they all go out, you'll probably still be able to see me because the stage lights will be on. But the house lights right before the end of our last service just went off, so everybody's walking out through cell phone light, you know? So hopefully that won't happen in this service, but who knows, okay? Just don't panic. We'll keep rolling. We'll find a way. I hope that you have your Bibles open to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 by now, uh, chapter 2, I'm sorry. Let me, let me pray with you real quick before we dive into this. Uh, Lord, this is your word. These are your people, and you, you are the one that we need to hear from this morning. God, I pray that anything that I conjure up and say that is apart from your Holy Spirit, that it would be just dismissed, that they wouldn't remember it. Um, I pray that anything that is said by your Holy Spirit, that it would stick with us for a lifetime, that it would tra change and transform us, that it would open just some places in us that we didn't know existed before, that you would draw us into you in a really deep and sincere and real level. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so what Cam covered last week at the beginning of chapter 2, just those first few verses, he said, put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and all envy and all slander and exchange that for hungering for the word of God, which I wanted to offer to you guys as your friend and your pastor. I think that's a really good idea. I, I, I would say that is a healthy exchange for your life, to put aside anger and malice and envy and slander and gossip and everything that fits into that category, and instead, instead of licking your chops at things like that, lick your chops at the word of God, something that's true and timeless and life-giving and trustworthy. That's a worthwhile exchange. If you missed that conversation, you can get any of our uh, previous sermons on our website, www.gbc.life, or on our YouTube channel, and you can go back and listen to last week's or even the series before this when we talk about healing and the hard stuff. But now as we transition into chapter 2, we're going to replace that word healing to enduring. Now we're looking at enduring through the hard stuff. You want to endure through the hard stuff? Then put away the malice and the envy and the deceit and the slander. It's going to be toxic to you, your life, your relationships, your family, your work life, like Exchange that for hunger and thirsting for the word of God. 
And then he goes on into talking to Christians and then talking to some non-Christians here in this. And this is what we're going to talk about today, starting in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Who's he talking about? Who's him? Best Sunday school answer. I'll give you another try, okay? As you come to him, who's him? Very good. Very good, everybody. As you come to him, as you come to Jesus who is a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God is chosen and precious. Listen up. You yourselves are also like living stones and are being built up as a spiritual house. Say spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood. Say holy priesthood. And to offer spiritual sacrifices. There you go. Good job. Acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's stop right there. What he's talking about right here, to the believers who are going through the hard stuff, who are suffering through life, who are looking for truths that they can hang on to as they endure through just the calamity and the tragedy that life brings. He reminds them of some identity central stuff right here. Reminds them of who God is, what he's done, and who they are as a result of it. And he starts out by telling them that Jesus is the living stone. The one that is appointed by God, precious to God, but has been rejected by men. And you too, as the body of believers, he says in verse 4, for those of you that have come to him, you too are like living stones that are being built up into a spiritual house. Now that seems to be a mysterious metaphor. Let's break that down and talk about it. What's a spiritual house? Well, this would have been really good news to people at this particular time in history as much as as it is good news to us. This spiritual house phrase, this idea, this metaphor that he's using, really kind of, it drips of community. It's a beautiful metaphor of community, two types of community. Most importantly, the community that you now have with God. Spiritual stones being built up into, or living stones being built up into a spiritual house. Did you know that at this particular point in history, that would have been brand new news to them because they understood that the only, the only house that God had was a place that called the temple, and that's a place that you would have to go to visit with him. But since Jesus came, he actually made you the living stones. He's building up the house and the temple of God with you, the people of God, and he's going to dwell with us, in us. It's good, good news of the gospel right here. It's a good reminder of the community that we get to have with God because of what Jesus has done, that we have been appointed as living stones, and God is building up for himself a house. In other words, a place to dwell, and that place is you. You living stones, you followers of Jesus. That God himself isn't some place that you have to go to, but he is one that dwells deep within you. He is one that lives and resides within you, living his life through you, through the power of his Holy Spirit. But this also has a second part to it. You living stones that are being built up into a spiritual house. This also drips of the idea of community together. What brick ever has had any value sitting by itself? None. The value of a brick comes when it gets integrated in with other bricks. A brick by itself can't build a house, and a brick by itself can't build a wall even. It takes a bunch of them being bound together to have value. And he's reminding us of that, that we have a new family identity in the family of God as living stones being built up into the spiritual house that we have been integrated together with one another for the glory of God and for the good of each other. We need each other. 
We need each other. We need your talents, and we need your gifts, and we need your resources, and we need your energy, and we need your passion, and we need your compassion, and we need you. You are a living stone that has been apportioned and set apart by God himself through the work of Jesus Christ. And he is building for himself a kingdom made of you and I, O believer. The mortar of the bricks is Jesus himself and the good news of the gospel that binds us all together, his perfect love and his perfect work. But we are the bricks that he's chosen to build this spiritual house of, of which he is planning to dwell and which he dwells and which he plans to work out of so that the world would know who he is and what he's like, so that they might come to know him and become one of the living stones as well. We need one another. This, this totally, this idea right here, along with other places in Scripture, totally disbands the option. It totally disbands the option of being a freelance Christian. Have any idea what I'm talking about? Freelance Christianity. This, among many other places in Scripture, takes that option off the table. It does not exist. You might think it exists. You might think that you are one of them. It doesn't exist. Matter of fact, this scholar, C.E.B. Cranefield, he says it so well. He said, the freelance Christian who would be a Christian but is too superior to belong to the visible church upon earth in one of its forms is simply a contradiction in terms. Hello. Jesus didn't just save you for you. He didn't make you a living stone so you could be a brick sat out there by itself. Bricks alone are useless. Bricks together are where they find their purpose and their value and their identity. We need one another, and freelance Christianity is not the way of God. You know what I'm talking about. Well, my church is my boat. My church is my tree stand. My church is the bar that I play my guitar in. Like, no, it ain't. No, it ain't. Those might be your mission fields, but your church is where the church is, not in this building where the people of God are. Maybe you don't like this church. Go find another church. But get involved in church. Maybe this is too big. Maybe being involved in big corporate churches, like it's just too many people. It's too much chaos. Maybe you, don't, maybe you don't like that. There's such thing as home churches that meet in homes. Get involved with the body. You need to be connected to the body. It's not about you being a part of this building. It's about part of you being about this spiritual house that God is building. And you can't freelance that. You can't work on your own. You can't be on your own. It is a contradiction of terms. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that you are about Jesus when you're not about the things that Jesus is about. You hearing what I'm saying? You're being built up into a spiritual house. And he has called us to be a family. As a matter of fact, Jesus prayed specifically for you freelancers out there. Read John 17, Jesus' prayer. When he prayed that God would allow the believers to dwell together in unity so that the world would know that there is something so different about the people of God. When they are together sharing their gifts and sharing life with one another, when they integrate themselves together and they build the spiritual house of God, it is an impenetrable force. 
We are meant for each other. We need each other. We need your gifts and your talents. And I tell you what, because God designed it to be this way and because he designed us to long to be together for one another, maybe that's why church hurt, hurts so bad. Maybe that's why it's so easy to get offended and hurt by your pastor or other people in the church family. Because the enemy's just applauding as you walk out the door and disconnect yourself because he knows it is a central piece of your identity as a kingdom person and a Christ follower to be with other Christians. And the longer you stiff arm that and reject that, the longer you're walking outside of your identity as a kingdom person. Because God didn't create you for solitude. Isolation is the devil's pl playground, people. He created you for community. He created you as a body. He created you. Through the power of Jesus Christ, he recreated you as a living stone. And he is building up his kingdom using, yes, us, you, the kingdom, and the people of God for his glory and that the world might know that Jesus is king. Don't miss out. Don't miss out. Not only that, he says... When he talks about our family identity, being a part of the family of God and this, this structure that God is building, the spiritual house, he also calls you, a, as a believer, a holy priesthood. What do you think when you think about a priest? What do you picture in your head? Hopefully not me. There ain't much priestly about me. It's funny, though. Some of y'all, especially y'all come up Catholic, some of y'all introduce me as, hey, this is my priest, Dustin. I'm like, you sure about that? Like... Ain't nothing priestly about this bro right here, you know what I'm saying? What do you picture when you think of a priest? Fella dressing all black, got a little white square right here. Maybe you grew up Catholic, think of the guy on the other side of the confessional booth. You know, when the Bible talks about a priest, um, the biblical idea of a priest really kind of comes from the Latin word pontifex. Say pontifex. Yeah, it's spelled, it's spelled just like it sounds with an X, pontifex. I mean, it's priest. It's the Latin word for priest, okay? And the idea of a, the, a pontifex, it means, to, it means this. It means to be a bridge builder. Say bridge builder. That's what a priest does. He's a bridge builder. A holy priest is someone who has been set apart by God for God to build bridges in the kingdom of God. That, that's what a holy priest does. But notice that it calls us a holy priesthood. Do you catch the community terms there too? This wasn't supposed to be some isolated freelance job. We're supposed to do it together. We are a holy priesthood set apart by God, for God, to build bridges for the world to come and experience God as well. Two, two biblical ideas that you need to remember. Uh, I should say two ideas you need to remember about a biblical priest. All right, What a biblical priest is, these, these two things. Biblical priests have a right. If you are a follower of Jesus, say, I have a right and they have a responsibility. Say, I have a responsibility. Yeah, biblical priests, of which Peter says you are, of which Paul says you are, biblical priests have a right and a responsibility. The right that we have has been given us to us by God, and that is access to God. That's the right we have as priests. God has given us the right to be able to access him. And in doing so, he's also given you a responsibility. Not only do you have access to God as a right, you have a responsibility to lead others to God so that they can have access to God too. That's what priests do. That's their job. That's it. This is your missional calling as a kingdom person, your missional identity. 
that you are a priest, not just me, us. We are a holy priesthood of believers that have been called and given the gift of access to God and also called to invite people to come and experience God and have access for themselves, to be made living stones, to trust and believe in Jesus, to be a part of this spiritual house that God is building. And to be honest with you, this promise, this right that we have as a holy priesthood is probably one of the most taken for granted, undermined, underappreciated, disrespected things in all of the kingdom of God of all of the people of God, of all of those that follow Jesus Christ as their Lord. It's this idea of access to God. We take it for granted. You realize it was just a couple of thousand years ago people like you and me couldn't get into the presence of God? These, these stories we read in the scriptures of Jesus and the, and the apostles it was just back then, it wasn't that long ago that people like you and me didn't get into the presence of God. Somebody had to go into the presence of God for us. Only the high priest had access. We weren't a priesthood yet. Only he was. And the high priest would be able to go into the presence of God for us one time a year. You want to talk about limited access, even he could only get in there once. You and I, at best, we would have to be in the outer layers of the temple, depending on who your family was and what your heritage was, would depend on how deep you could go into the temple. But none of us, unless you were the high priest, could get into the presence of God ever. You remember when Jesus died on the cross and the veil of the temple split from top to bottom? That's when God gave us access. Regular old cats like you and me, common people, sinful, bad attitudes, broken marriages, diseases, rap sheets, criminal records, access to God because of what Jesus had done to those who would believe. And if, as a people who have access to God, like you, you, don't have to, you don't have to go to the temple to talk to God. You don't even have to get into the Holy of Holies to talk to God. You can talk to him in your car while you're cutting the grass, while you're on the fishing boat. Which, by the way, last week while y'all were being fishers of men, I was being a fisher of fish and didn't catch very many. I guess that's what happens when you skip church and you're a preacher. Okay, you don't catch no fish. Access to God. And not as if he's somebody who we have to go knock on his door, but he's somebody who has come to dwell within us. That's the promise of God's word. He comes and dwells within his people. He hears the longings of your heart when you don't even have words to put to it. You don't have to try to figure out what to say when you're that broken and that hurt. He already hears you. He's in you. He feels it. He sees it. Sees your heart rate going up when you think about it. He's that close to you. That close to you. He's as crazy about you as he's ever been. And we have access to him. What a gift. And as a people who have access, that kind of access to God, why wouldn't we want the people that we love to be able to experience that and have access to? Why wouldn't we? We are a holy priesthood who have a right of access and a responsibility to build bridges between the people that God has placed around us and the God who has consumed our hearts. Bridge builders, a holy priesthood, that's you. And as a holy priesthood, the next thing he says is, 
We ought to offer spiritual sacrifices. That's kind of mysterious. Like, how do we offer spiritual sacrifices here in the 21st century? Hey, he's not talking about, just to be clear, animal sacrifices. That ain't what he's saying. He says spiritual sacrifices. He doesn't need the blood of bulls and goats anymore to, 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 to cover over your sins. Like, there was a time, like, well, you have to bring a sacrifice as a family. Stand in line all day in the heat only to get to the front of the line to realize that your kid has taken off running to the back of the line and now you got to go chase down your kid while you're holding your goat grab your kid and they ain't letting you back to the front of the line they've been waiting all day too you going to the back brother animal sacrifices just so that they could slaughter it the priest would slaughter it for you so that that blood would cover the sins of your family for a time in other words God would just turn his head away from your sins for a time But there would come a time where you would have to offer another sacrifice to cover over more sins. And then Jesus came along as the unblemished lamb, and he washed away our sins. He didn't didn't cover them up. He washed them away, cast them as far as east is from the west. For those that are in Christ Jesus, God doesn't have to look away from you to be able to tolerate you anymore. He's able to look right at you, dwell within you, and enjoy the communion that he has with you. Because of what Jesus has done. And so now spiritual sacrifices, he's not calling you to offer a goat. Jesus was our sacrifice for sins. He's he's calling you to offer a living sacrifice of yourself. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 12 best, he says that we would present to God our bodies as living sacrifices. Living sacrifices. He, He doesn't want your goats, he wants your life. He wants your life. He, want, he, wants, he wants your relationships, and he wants your passions, and he wants your talents, and he wants your family, and he wants your health, and he wants your kids, and he wants your home, and he wants your business, and he wants your vehicle, and he wants your toys, and he wants everything you got that you would present it before him as a living sacrifice and acknowledge, God, this is all yours. It came from you, and it's always been yours. And so as a spiritual sacrifice, I'm bringing this back up to you to remind you and to confess before you that everything I have and everything I am, it's yours, Lord. Use it as you want to. My life and my job and my money and my family, we are yours. Use us as you see fit. Spiritual sacrifices. And he says in verse 6, for it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Who is that? That's Jesus. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Oh, Christ follower, believer in Jesus, life is going to be hard. Some Some of your entire lives have been horrific. But I can tell you, there is still a better day yet to come. It may not be on this side of heaven, but the best is still yet to come. When he fixes all the broken stuff, when he heals all the wounds, when he casts out all the diseases, there's coming day. You, you will not go down in shame. You will be made whole. You will be made complete through the blood and the work of Jesus. He will wipe away every tear. And you will once and for all be fixed and made whole and redeemed and set free. Finally, once and for all, that day is coming. Do not lose hope. And this is as much an affirmation to those who are in Christ as it is an invitation to those who are not sure about him yet. 
He says, whosoever would believe in him. Whosoever, you fit in the whosoever. This isn't the only time we see that word. Whoever believes. We see that in John 3, 16. Whoever believes. Whoever would believe in him, all these things would be true of you too. Whoever would confess him as Lord, who would ever trust him as Lord and Savior. Look, and I get it. I know that there's skeptics in the room. I know that there's critics in the room. And I'm so glad that you're here. I don't know why you came to church this morning. Uh, since you're not a believer, I bet some of you are here because you're, maybe you're seeking. Maybe you're here to criticize because you watched something I've said online before. Maybe you're here because a person next to you promised they would buy you breakfast if you'll just come to church this time. And that's cool, too. We're glad that you're here. I want to be able to have this conversation with you. And as a matter of fact, the Apostle Peter has something to say to you as well. He's just been speaking to believers in the above part of this passage. And he says in verse 7, he says, So the honor is for those of you who believe. The hope, everything that we wait for, everything that we are, all the transformation is for those of you who believe the honor. But for those of you who do not believe, he transitions. And says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And not only that, that chief cornerstone is also a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. In other words, for all of you in here, Jesus is either, either a great hope for you or he's incredibly offensive to you. His way of being and doing, his, his word, his calling is offensive to the way you want to live your life and spend your money and do your things. Like he is either your great hope or a great offense to you, that, that stumbling block. Let, let, let me break it down to you really simply, basically what the apostle Peter means for us right here in this section. Um, to those of you who do not believe, all right, let me talk to y'all for a second. Let me talk to y'all for a second, those of you online who do not believe, all right. Um, you may not believe in Jesus Christ as Lord or King or Savior or God. And that goes for y'all in here too. But Peter's point right here is you cannot deny the fact that he is the most significant and polarizing human figure in all of history. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Here's what I'm talking about. I actually used to be an entertainer up in the Sevierville Pigeon Forge Gatlinburg area. And we would do a Christmas show called Come Celebrate Christmas. And that would be a means of really just celebrating Jesus at Christmas time in a very secular environment, as much of the world does. And during our show at night, there would be one of our cast members would come out, the lights would go down, he would just be backlit with kind of this like, Blue, brooding light. He'd be in a black tux. Like you couldn't really see all of him, but he was, he was just kind of like this, this presence, this figure. And he would, he would recite from memory very passionately this beautiful poem that was written back in 1926. And it was written by Dr. James Allen. And it's called One Solitary Life. And I'd like to read that to you this morning as we were talking about the stone that the, the builders have rejected has now become the chief cornerstone. Jesus was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in yet another obscure village where he worked in a carpentry shop until he was 30. He never wrote a book. 
He never held an office. He never went to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place that he was born. He did none of the things that is usually associated with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While dying, his executioners gambled for his clothes, the only property that he had on earth. And when he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone. And today Jesus is the central figure of the human race and the leader of mankind's progress. All of the armies that have ever marched, all of the navies that have ever sailed, all of the parliaments that have ever sat, all of the kings that have ever reigned put together have not affected the life of mankind on earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. You get the picture? You may not believe in Jesus as Lord and King and God, but who else in history has been more polarizing? Who else in history has been more adored? Who else has been more criticized? Who else has been more worshipped and honored? And who else has been more hated? Who else has had more books written about them and more songs sung about them? Who else though having walked the face of the earth 2,000 years ago, consumes every media outlet his entire birthday month. Who else? No one else. Because there is none before him and there is none like him and there is none beside him. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the king of all kings and the lord of all lords. He cannot be stopped. He cannot be topped. He cannot be moved. There is nothing like him in this world. He is the only thing that can satisfy. He is the only one that can give hope. He is the only one that can give healing. He is the only one. Just Jesus. Everything else will fall short. Just Jesus. And by the way, Jesus' life was too bold His claims were too bold for you to just be in the middle on who he is for your life. You you can't just see Jesus as a great man and a good leader and a great prophet. You can't see him like that. His claims were too bold. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be king and Lord. He claimed to be the only way, the only truth, and the only life. You can't think he's just a good idea. He is either king and God or he is a lunatic. You have to pick one. He is either the greatest hope of the world or the greatest hoax of the world. There is no in-between. His name is Jesus. And who is he to you? You trusted him. If you've given your life to him, I can tell you resting your life on anything else will leave you dissatisfied, not only right now, but from here to all of eternity. We will all stand before God in judgment one day, and only those who are in Christ Jesus will stand before God as righteous and blameless and holy. Everybody else is going to make atonement for their own sins for all of time. That ain't going to work out too well. Jesus. Do you believe in him? Do you trust him? Was today the day that the Holy Spirit just kind of pricked your heart and just said, yeah, like, 
Stop playing church, stop playing games, and stop thinking you can navigate this thing called life or navigate the death that is to come or the judgment that is to come without Jesus as your Lord and King. Would you bow your heads? I just want to ask you a quick question. I'm not going to drag you up here to the front of the stage, but I do want to know if there's anybody in here this morning that has never confessed Jesus as the Lord of their life, but after our conversation today, the light bulb has went on, and now you want to. You, you want to acknowledge that Jesus is God and King, and you want to give your life to him. Would you, just so I can see you, I want to talk to you after the service. I'm going to wait for everybody to clear out. But if we could talk after the service and you want to make that confession right now, would you do it just so that I can see it? Just you and me. Would you slip your hand up for just a second so I know who to be looking for after the service today so we can talk? Is there anybody in here that wants to make that confession of Jesus as Lord and King this morning for the first time? I'll give you just a second. I'm not going to drag it out. Those of you who are a part of the living stones of God, you just pray for those that are not, for those that are at home watching that are not. If you're at home watching and you're slipping your hand in the air right now, call us this week. Uh, we're, we're dropping a decision card in the comment section as we speak. Click on that. Give us your info. Let us connect with you. But for those of you that are here in person, who would say that they've never trusted Jesus as Lord and saying that today that I'm going to trust him, he is king and he is Lord? Would you slip your hand up for just a moment so that I can see where you're at? Anybody at all? God bless you, buddy. I see you. God bless you, my man. Let's talk for a few minutes after the service. Yeah. Anybody else? GBC family, I want you to celebrate with me that there is one in our midst that has confessed Jesus as the Lord of their life. <laughs> Let me leave you with this before I pray for you. Dr. Juan Sanchez, he's a pastor in Texas, he, he said this really cool quote that goes along with what we're talking about today. And he says, there will always be two building projects. The world builds its own structure, seeking to go higher in order to make a name for themselves. This is how it's always been. But God is at work building his own structure, a new temple on the foundation of Jesus as we, the stones, Give up our own pursuit of fame, we actually find ourselves. Because we find ourselves a part of something bigger and more durable. God's building project is eternal. Humanity's is fleeting. It will fall down. It always does. But because man is foolish, he keeps starting over. One day God will shake the heavens and the earth and bring humanity's building project to a thundering crash once and for all. All that will be left is what is eternal, that which God has built, a spiritual house built with living stones, making much of God. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for the promises that we are yours, that we are what you are building your kingdom with on the foundation of Jesus, that we do have a new family and a new mission and a new calling as priests who offer ourselves as living sacrifices, that the world might come to know you like we know you. And God, I pray for those that are in Christ Jesus, that they would be able to rest in those promises, that they would lean in towards those and run towards Jesus in this crazy thing called life. For those that do not yet believe, Lord, I pray that you would make them restless. That you would allow them to be hopeless. That you would allow them into a place of longing and wanting 
And Lord, I pray that you would insert yourself into their story right there. That they would be healed in that moment. That they would experience the power of all King, all powerful King Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. I thank you that you have invited us into your love story as your family. I thank you that you came after us because we would have never made it to you alone. Lord, your love, your grace, it is sufficient and it is enough. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.